It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello and welcome to Accelerate. My guest on the show today is Cliff Pollan, CEO of Sococo. You know, there's been a tremendous growth in the number of tools and technologies which promise to transform the productivity of employees by facilitating collaboration. But it seems like these promises have been made for years as we went through networking and then to video conferencing and to newer tools like Sococo and Slack. So what's new now and how are these tools really going to deliver on the promises that have been made? Well, Cliff Pollan's going to help us sort it all out. Cliff, welcome to the show. Andy, uh, great to be here. Thanks so much. Well, so take a minute, introduce yourself. Tell us where, where you sir, sales background. How'd you get into this whole collaboration business? Andy, I, it's always uh, you know hard to say that you've been at this for over thirty-five years. You and so, I have some. So shared don't background. don't say it then. <laughs> <laughs> I love it though, because I think it's you know a great time to be in sales and sales and marketing. Um, I think there's some enormous changes that are taking place. For me, um, I've always been at this intersection of brand new technologies and changing the way that people work. Um, I did it first at a company that had the largest time-sharing system outside the federal government and was taking data and making it accessible to business people to make better business decisions. Well, before you go on, so for people in this audience, listening audience that... Don't understand the concept of timesharing as it applies to communications, not vacation rentals. Why don't you explain that? Sure. And and it feels like, you know, we're probably repeating something that was there um, before. So we had um, large mainframe computers, um, you know, that cost at the time hundreds or millions of dollars. People can afford to have their own. We were loading, um, in that case, very relevant data um, for different industries. It might be housing starts. It might be the price of steel. Um, and we were selling computer time for access to our software and data um, to use that. And back then, you know, people would pay us roughly $180 an hour to use that system back in the late 70s and to build models to better understand how many people they may want to hire based on what they were thinking housing starts might be. So the time-sharing system was computer software sitting in an air-cooled room um, with a bunch of data on it. Today, <laughs> that looks a lot like a thing called moving to the cloud, Amazon, um, or, you know, or IBM, or Rackspace, or any of those pieces as we move applications that, you know, were put on premise after in the next trend when computers got smaller and all our IT groups, you know, had, you know, were proud of their data centers. And, uh, and now I think we've come to a cycle where um, we're getting all of this connectivity thanks to the internet, moving things to the cloud and making it far easier for users. Okay. So I didn't want to digress too much, but yeah, I thought it was interesting just to bring that out so people see that, as you said, what's old is sort of new again. It, it really is. And, and you know, back then, um, you know, for selling, whether it was then, um, it was an intangible. And we had to help people to understand how we could help them to make better business decisions 
based on the solution that we had. And I moved throughout my career at those intersections. Um, I remember in 1980, um, sitting next to those mainframe computers, and there was the Apple computer. And a bunch of guys that I knew said, hey, we're going to rebuild what's on those mainframe computers and run it on this Apple computer. <laughs> and they built an investment management system for large investors to basically do stock selection and portfolio management on an Apple computer. Pretty amazing set of people I was involved with. Um, and it was that intersection that all of a sudden made something accessible to anybody uh, you know, in this case, ours were, were professional uh, portfolio and investment research analysts that they now could, you know, sort of have that at their fingertips. So a lot of my, and I won't, I won't go through the rest of it, um, you and I overlapped it at work I did at Lotus, um, and then, uh, you know, got to do that again in, in bringing live news to people um, in a very different way in the early 80s and, you know. Which really foreshadowed, foreshadowed the Internet in many ways. It really did. We were taking live news up to almost 400 feeds, running them over a local area network directly to somebody's desktop. That was a time when local area networks, um, the only reason we had them was to share printers. And here was this phenomenal application where actual people who needed to make either investment, business decisions, um, do corporate communications, had that information at their fingertips on their desktop, thanks to those local area networks. So it's trying to catch those changes in trends that I've been had the pleasure to be um, you know, a part of. And I think as we talk about collaboration today and different ways that we're helping people to connect, I think there's a whole other discontinuity here that uh, I'm excited to, you know, to, to think about and help people with. And what is that? Well, since, since you asked, yep. <laughs> let me let me explain the metaphor that we've thought about, and then relate it to what I think is going to be probably the most significant change in the way that we sell. Um, our concept is very simple. Um, it was really easy to work together when we were all co-located. Um, we had, you know, cultural signals. I could go walk down to your office, ask you a question, grab somebody and bring them in. Um, and we would solve things relatively quickly. It was what we all would call today high bandwidth conversation. I could see your reaction. I could feel your emotion. Um, and we could basically communicate that way. And now we're very dispersed and people we're working with, often we may not even have met, and we're not in the same physical locations. Whether somebody's um, working at home today or somebody is remote, we have offices in different cities. And most of the communications pieces that have taken place have been mostly around one-to-one. -one. I'll do a Skype chat with you. We'll go and we'll do a G chat, or we'll go jump in a hangout. Our metaphor is that we basically have said we have a blueprint of what your office might look like if you were together. Each person is represented by an avatar, and I can knock on Andy's office, even though I'm in Boston, Andy's down in New York, his office is right next to me, and I can knock on his door. We could be sitting with each other, talking, exchanging information, and go grab Philip, who happens to be sitting in Germany, and we need in on this conversation just by knocking on Philip's door and saying, hey, Philip, can you join us? 
That's the core concept of connecting people and making them readily accessible to each other. And we think that has all sorts of effectiveness pieces in the way that we both work internally and in the way that we can work with customers and prospects. So, and you're describing Sococo to some degree in terms of your your product, but also, like I said, sort of a a metaphor. And and you guys do something with visualization that sort of really makes this easy. I think easier, right? So for people sort of to conceptualize, hey, that somebody is literally right next door, even though they may be remote. That's right. So I, I did I did venture off to describe a little bit of our approach and I want to bring it back. But yes, it's it's a visual map. We're all visual people. We understand maps and blueprints. And so we've taken that metaphor and we brought and, and that metaphor is resonating with people. They look at it, they get it, and they have this feeling then of connectedness, both emotionally and practically. Um, so um well, here's a question. I guess it's more a broad question before we then get sure. back into specifics, perhaps about Sococo is, is, you know, this is another instance of technology perhaps motivating a change in behavior. And we've seen, you know, a mixed bag of success with this, quite frankly. Um, you know, I think even like I said, with take the smartphone. I think yes. the behaviors that have changed are not those that were necessarily would have been anticipated. So, so A, is, is technology really... Can you really control, I guess, the changes that result from it? I, I, I don't think you can, um, but I've thought a lot about conversations, Andy, you and, and, and I have had and others, and I think we're about to go, in this case, through a tremendous way in the way, um, you know, sales processes happen and the way salespeople and sales teams are organized. And, um, you know, and, and I think to that point, I do think the technologies can support that critical change, but I think that change um, is, com- it, we're, we're ripe for it. And it's really what our buyers are asking us for. And often our sales results are showing that, there's a real opportunity and need for change. So I can you know, just sort of share some observations. Sure, yeah, do. I mean, you said you put out a big claim that the sales nature of the sales force will change. What, what do you see coming down the road? So here's the things I always think of, especially as we come to year end. We'll see that sales cycles are long and they remain long. And that's expensive both for the buyer and the seller. Lots of investment time. And, you know, there's good work by IDC. We as, you know, salespeople think that the buyers are going too slow. But when you survey the buyers, they say that the salespeople are slowing them down. So first piece is, for all the years we've been at this, everybody wants to shrink sales cycles, but they still call it a sales cycle, and they tend not to be able to move that needle. The second piece we often see is that the majority of sales reps, more than, you know, in the range of 50%, depending on what you look at, don't make goal. Um, you know, if, if half our kids were failing at school, um, I don't think we would stand there and accept that that's okay. 
But what we basically said is, (laughs) yeah, I know. I mean, if you've read the articles about the the rampant grade inflation at the college level, I think that's I think that's a reflective (laughs) reflection of that. That's right. Well, when you're paying them, they don't want to fail you. They don't want to fail you, right? Everybody gets an A, right? But but we really do have this problem. You know, Andy, you've run sales organizations coming up. Um, I've run sales organizations. And what you did was sales has been largely an individual, you know, sort of sport. It was more like tennis than, you know, rowing crew with four people or eight people completely rowing in sync. And when we hire, we're encouraged to run individual assessments of those people and look for the best individuals we can find to do those sales roles. And then those folks are expected to deal with, you know, uh, an entire organization, many different types of individuals, personalities, perspectives, styles, and different expertise, whether you're talking to an IT or a business, you know, sort of leader or um, a senior decision maker or an influencer. There's a lot going on there. And we're trying to find these rock star salespeople who often carry the bulk of the results that we that we get. Um, and, you know, we've also accepted, and Andy, you wrote about this in Zero Time Selling, that, that this whole process requires a lot of discovery and get backs. Um, things are more complicated. I don't have all the answers, but let me get back to you quickly, as you suggest. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've defined these stages and processes um, that I think are still there, are well articulated. Um, but I will tell you, my buying cycles have changed. I can make most serious uh, purchase decisions in a matter of days now. Um, and and so and we're all doing that. Some of those on personal things we're doing, jumping onto to obviously Amazon, doing a little bit of research and making a decision. Um, and so my point to this is, Sales cycles remain long. Majority of reps don't make their goals. Buyers do respect, and I didn't add this, sellers who can share relevant insights and tie it back to business value. So, so buyers are still, you know, Rain Group has done some great work on that. Andy, you've written about that. Um, so I think it's time for some critical change to the way that we do this, as opposed to managing for better efficiency in the process, we have to redo the process so the processes are more effective and more aligned with um, with the way buyers are going to buy now. Um, and I think that opportunity is on us. And I think there's also good history to show that it will work. So what are you doing to help that? Well, here's what I think. Um, so the first thing is that I do think selling is a team sport. Um, there's very few places in the organization where we still um, have the individual trying to do all these things. And I think we've made the job of salesperson to be individual. I think it's going to be team. And that doesn't mean I don't want to overextend that. But right now, um, the way that um, and I'll, I'll take examples going back to manufacturing, 
we saw in the 50s the move from a traditional manufacturing process to what was called lean to remove waste in the process and go faster that was very much built on how the team worked and communicated together. And I think if we can do that, and that process has been brought forward into software development, and, um, and in software now, we have teams that rather than spend nine months defining what a software is going to be and then starting to write it, in two weeks, they're writing software. So I think there are three things to this, and let me try and articulate them very clearly. One is we need to adopt the methodologies that are both lean to remove waste, and we need to manage sales processes adopting the concepts of agile, where everything, um, the most urgent things are done quickly, and we find the right resource to get those things done. The second piece to that is talent amplification. You have a team. How do you actually use the team to get that to get things done? Often, I'll do a sales call, and when we have two people, sometimes the result is much better because somebody's listening, somebody is getting a chance to obviously talk. You've got different people with different skills, and we I think that there is an opportunity to shrink sales cycles by being able to readily bring the right resources in and to, to make sure that what we're thinking about is what's the right thing in that buyer journey to match, again, the right talents in the company to move that to a close. And then I think the third concept is just rapid response. There's no reason that we have to leave meetings with getbacks anymore. Um, we can bring the right resources to bear. It's going to take a complete cultural shift because we're, like the old factories, aligned for, I'm in this meeting, I'll get this information. If I can't answer it, then we'll set up a meeting four to six weeks from now to discuss that when your calendars work, when I can get my subject matter expert in to get that. Rather than do that, why don't we do it in the moment? And I think sales cycles that are taking six to nine months should be able to be done in 30 to 45 days. There's a very famous story of a person in China who built a 55-story building in 38 days. Um, we don't think these things can be changed, but there are processes and approaches that we have to think differently given the factors, again, I, I know that, that I talked about before. Mm -hmm. Well, personally, I I don't want to live in that tall building that's built in 38 <laughs> days, but uh, <laughs> at least not now. Once they put up thousands of them, uh, I'm all in. Um, okay. <laughs> all right. Well, let's let's come back after the break, and we'll talk about this some more because uh, there are lots to dig into on that. Uh, but before I go to the break, though, I have a scenario I pose to all my guests, and um, I'm going to ask you a question. We'll come back and get your answer afterwards. So here's the scenario. You've been hired as a new sales leader at a company whose sales have stalled out. And senior management's really urgent for the ship of state to be turned around. So your first week on the job, what two things would you do that could have the biggest impact? So think about that. 
and we'll be back after the break with my guest, Cliff Pollan, CEO of Sococo. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a thousand companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. Welcome back. My guest today, Cliff Pollan, CEO of Sococo. Cliff, before we went on the break, posed a hypothetical scenario for you. So, what's your answer? Your new sales leader, got to make things happen in a hurry. What the two things you could do the first week on the job that have the biggest impact? What I would do is go out and interview 10 customers. um, And then I would interview um, 10 employees in the company um, in different areas of the company, engineering, product, sales, support. And I'd have that outside perspective an inside perspective that would get me the basis at least to understand um, what the top two or three things are that are thought by our customers and by our employees. Yeah, I like it. Very succinct. Good. You must have been listening to previous episodes so you knew the question was coming. Uh, I'm a good listener. (laughs) You're a good listener. So one of the topics you brought up before the break, we were talking about alignment of resources in order to help accelerate the sales process and instead of you know waiting four to six weeks to bring you know mr engineer back into the mix is you know you can tap them in a real-time basis yep so explain how that would work in the environment you're talking about with sococo the collaborative environment that you set up that helped facilitate that yeah and i so the way that we've set up the environment um i used to do that when i was in my physical office, if I had a, you know, a good opportunity that I was working, you might say, okay, I put you on hold a second. Let me, let me go see if, um, you know, if Sally next door is in, she's in, you know, she's really knowledgeable in that we can have a really rich discussion. And I would put that, put them on hold and go bring that person over. Right. Mm-hmm. And that way I didn't lose momentum. And the more I completed, the more momentum that happened. Well, that's the concept in Sococo. I can see which of my solutions engineers is available. I can do a quick chat and do a get on them. They're sitting in my office. We have the prospect and we're all there. And we start to move that along. So that simple concept of this being able to visualize and see everybody and being able to bring the right resources in creates the foundation for a much more what I will call agile coach uh, structure that responds to the customer at the moment that and and you know that that the customer has that question. Now again, you got to make sure you're answering the right questions. I don't want people to take this in in you know um, if you will that this is still good you know sales skills. But if there are issues that the customer wants to address, then we should be able to address those. And we think we've set up an environment to bring that fluid capability 
um, and and be have organizations be able to make that change. Right. So if people can sort of visualize this as you know up on your screen, you'll have you know visual representation. Let's say of an office, and somebody could be in the office next door, but you know they could be three thousand miles away. But how how do you know that they're available? Sure. So as you said, Andy, I have uh, up on a screen my office all the time. Um, people are sitting either in their offices or they may be sitting at a high top table, just like some people do in open space. I can, first of all, see whether they're talking. There's visual indicators if they're talking. Um, I can see who they're meeting with. So it might be that two of my SEs are meeting together. Um, but I can see um, in other systems, they might look like each of them is busy. Well, if I can t- see that two of my solution engineers are sitting together and they're talking with each other, then I can elect to say to them, hey, um, why don't you join me? I have a customer here or a prospect and I need you for 10 minutes. So that visual cue tells me who they're meeting with. If they're just sitting in their office and their um, visual indicator isn't blinking, then it means they're just sitting there alone. And so I may be interrupting some work they're doing, but that may be you know, the appropriate thing given this um, opportunity that I'm working. So the visual cues very much help people to understand the nature of the work and also see who's meeting with who. Yeah, and I, it's to me it's sort of interesting because what you're doing is maybe different than some other collaborative tools is that uh, you actually can see whether the people on the other end of, are there, right? I mean, some tools you send out a, a request and even though it's easier than email and perhaps faster, you, you don't really know whether they're there, right? That's correct. And it's sort of this instantaneous um, ability to get them. And, and so, so yes, Andy, it's that, that visual, which, which our clients are finding, um, you know, so powerful. Um, I live in it. We have, uh, 22 employees spread over, um, from Munich, Germany, two people in the London area, um, three or four of us up in new England, all the way down to, to Texas, to Eugene, Oregon, to, um, San Jose, California. Um, and you know, we're all, we all come to work every day and interacting that way. And that's not different than many large companies who have people just spread in different office buildings. Some people may be working from home on a given day. So that's the the concept of being able to have that seamless interaction with them. Right. And given the limitation of space on a screen, what, what you're really defining is everybody's defining their own office, if you will. I mean, I'm asking the question. I don't know the answer is. Yeah. And so, you know, for me, if I was employed in a company, I knew there was sort of 20 people that I dealt with on a regular basis throughout the company. There would be the ones who would be in my virtual office. That's right. There, okay. there are standard, you know, people often, not to take this too far, may have multiple floors. So you may sitting on the sales floor, the marketing floor may be right above us and you can grab people from that from that floor. Or, you know, the campus may, you know, have some breath to it. Um, we, so, you know, and in general, just like in physical offices, the people that interact the most are grouped together. And you can change that at any point. Um, and that's important for people because sometimes teams are spun up and we need to bring 20 people and put them in a different spot because they're working on a project together. So, so there's that capability. Hmm. Very interesting. 
So how do you know that the investment and collaboration is paying off? Well, I think what we're what we're hearing from our clients, um, we had um, a major one of the major auto manufacturers. This is um, who um, was having um, problems. They this was a uh, technology group. They basically run um, factories um, for the auto manufacturer and other other products they um, they make. And they were having mean they were having more downtime than they should. And downtime was very expensive. And they found out two things. Culturally, people weren't trusting each other. These people were on four continents um, and they often didn't meet each other. And they needed to bring them together to have trust in each other so that when things happened, they could easily work together, not hold problems to themselves and be willing to cooperate and collaborate quickly so that they could get that work done and rectified. And I often think, and so for them, in their case, the mean time to fail to resolution shrunk often through trust first and then through the fact that they could work together seamlessly. Mm -hmm. I think that's the analogy for sales. Too often salespeople have been thought of as individuals. They're hesitant to often share things. They want to manage things by themselves. And they're not an environment that is highly collaborative. And I think if we're going to get high percentages of salespeople to a chain quota, then just like, and I, it's always hard to use the sports analogy, a good sports team is made up of the right players. We have to start thinking about making the sales team up with the right players, bringing those players together for the right opportunities. And so I think that's where the effectiveness piece comes in and why I think we have to get sales VPs thinking differently about this because I think we're on the same treadmill. Not that some sales organizations aren't doing great, but I think the individual model in the way the buying is changing is a real problem. And after all the years of having seen it, I think, and watched what's happened on the team side, there's a phenomenal opportunity to rethink how we approach this problem. And that's what we're really excited about. Yeah, I can see that. Because I, I, this change, change. required, because one of the things that you see in, well, let's say customer success or, or program management or mm. project management, if you will, is that, and certainly in companies I've worked in, is that you know a new project comes in is that, they assemble a team of people that have the skills to be able to help this project be successful. Where in sales, if you consider you know a good qualified opportunity like a project, you know we might go with the guy whose geography it's in, ir- irrespective of whether this person has the right skills or not. And and we and we don't build a team that is agile to sort of on the fly come together to work that opportunity quickly. Mm-hmm. What we do is we say, boy, that that saleswoman is really good at working the organization to get the resources aligned to get her deal done. We so so that I remember, you know, we always talk about that. Oh, mm-hmm. they're really good selling externally and internally. 
we need to change that as leaders, you know, and once we change that and we adopt some of the things, Andy, that you're referring to around a good project management approach and thinking about people coming in and out of that, how do we keep them informed? How do they feel energized about, about that? How do we get the right people matched up at the right moment um, to work with that account? It makes all the difference in the world, I think, to the account when they feel that level of, of responsiveness, feel things getting going quicker, and then you're leaving your competition in the dust, who's three steps, if you will, behind you, because they're following sort of the old sort of methodologies and a very single, you know, sort of leader approach um, to the sales process. Yeah, well, and and you call it a leader approach, but I mean, you could almost make the argument the leader approach is really the the one you've talked about is bringing the the, the right team together quickly, yeah, because they have to be led by somebody, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And good good salespeople are really smart at bringing the right resource in to help the right person. We've just never designed it. I think really that way. Um, they've just known how to work the organization, and that's gotten so hard with distributed teams. Um, you know, um, so I, I think there's, uh, and, and, you know, so obviously both, um, enormous opportunity to do it differently, but proven how that works in so many other fields. Very good. Very good. Okay. We're going to move to the last segment of the show here. I've got some rapid fire questions and you've got some answers for me. You can, they can be one word answers or you can elaborate if you wish. So you ready? Yes, I am. So what's the most powerful sales tool in your arsenal? I clearly have to go with Sococo. I use it every day. I bring my team in every day, and it's making an enormous difference. Okay. What's one tool you use for sales management, managing your company sales that you can't live without? I can't live without Salesforce. I'm in it all the day, all day. Everything is in there for us. Who's your sales role model? You know, I always think about um, Annika Seeley, um, and I think about um, both Annika Seeley and Trish Bertuzzi for, for different reasons. Annika, you know, back when no one thought you could build, uh, people don't know her, um, built Oracle's, created and built Oracle's inside sales team that grew to 5,000 people when no one thought you could sell over the phone. That's always my inspiration for thinking about how selling is going to change. Um, so a huge inspiration for me, um, and Trish for all the sort of practical work, um, and, and continuing to kick me, um, you know, to, to, to continue to learn. So I, I put those two people right up there. Great. What's the one book every salesperson should read? Andy, I'm not to plug you, but I've, I, I, uh, and I do want to plug you. I read Zero Time Selling. I called you up. I said, this is amazing. I, you know, um, and, um, you know, that one set me in the direction. I've been a fan ever, ever since. So, um, you know, and the new work you've done is spectacular. So everybody should, in my book, you know, use Zero Selling, Zero Time Selling as the foundation. Um, I, I, I give it to everybody um, who I work with in terms of breaking it down into really simple things that are so critical. So right. well, thank, thank you for writing. You. We'll have you back. It, loved it, Andy. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. And well, hopefully well, we've challenged some thinking. Well, we're here. not done yet. We've still got some questions for you. Okay. So 
What music does Cliff Pollen listen to to get himself pumped up? Um, you know, I have so many different playlists. I am a Pandora listener. I have so many different um, playlists that I can't even pick one at this point. Um, it depends on my mood in terms of of, uh, of what I'm listening to. Uh, clearly, a fair amount of Springsteen still is on yeah, that. Good, good. All right. Nothing wrong with the boss. Yep. Yeah, I just saw him on TV recently and good. took me back to the first time I saw him a long, long time ago. So what's the first sales activity you do every day? The first thing I do is I look at all of our cut of our prospects who have signed up for Sococo space. I look down that list and see if there are people that I know get a sense for the beat of the business that day, um, who's been active and how can I potentially help my team with some insights based on what I'm looking at. Okay, excellent. So last question. What's the one question you get asked most frequently by salespeople? why isn't that person calling me back? And how do you answer that? I said, what value are you bringing to them? Very good. Very good. I love that question. All right. Well, Cliff, now we can finish, finalize. Thank you for joining me on the show today. With me has been Cliff Pollan, CEO of Sococo. Cliff, tell people how they can find out more about Sococo. Sure. They can go to Sococo, S O. Coco.com, or feel free um, to email me at cliff.pollen, P O L L A N, at Sococo.com on, via LinkedIn, also obviously, and on Twitter at Cliff Pollen. So, however you want to reach me, feel free to reach me directly if you'd like to discuss any of this. Excellent. And that information will all be on the show notes page for this episode. So, Friends, remember, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And subscribing to this podcast is an easy way to do that because then you'll make sure you don't miss any of our conversations with top business experts like our guest today, Cliff Pollan, who share their expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining us. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.